Good morning. You ever had, ever changed your plans? Never, no. Of course you've all changed your plans before. Have you ever had your plans changed? Maybe by some unforeseen event or by someone, whatever the case might be. Have you ever changed careers? Have you ever had your career changed <laughs> by possibly an unforeseen event, a reduction in force, being laid off, or whatever the case might be? Do you have any idea the, how many jobs the average American has during their working life? Five, seven? Twelve. The average American has 12 jobs in their lifetime, and the average American changes careers or changes jobs every 4.1 years, and 65% of our current American workforce is looking for a new job right now. What does that have to do with the Gospel of Luke? All right. We'll turn in the Gospel of Luke because we're going to meet a man today who changed careers, who had his, uh, his plans changed by what I would consider an unforeseen event or an unforeseen encounter. We're in Luke chapter 5 today, Luke chapter 5, that tells us of a man by the name of Levi and his life. His career was certainly changed when he encountered Jesus. We're going to begin reading in Luke chapter 5, verse 27, which says, And after that he went out, he being Jesus. But after what? Well, if you go back and you look at all of Luke chapter 5, you know that he began this chapter, Luke telling us of how Jesus called his first disciples, Peter and Andrew and James and John. And then he uh, goes to a certain place where he meets a leper that comes and falls before him. We, we mentioned this in last week's message. But the leper comes, falls down before him and says, Lord, if you're willing, not if you can, but if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, I am willing, be cleansed. And he was. Then Jesus goes to a house where he's teaching and the scribes and Pharisees, some of the religious leaders of the day are there. And some men come bringing their friend who's a paralytic to be healed. But the crowd is, is such that they can't get to Jesus. So you remember what they do. They go up on the roof and remove the roof of that house and lower him down right in front of Jesus. And seeing their faith, Jesus looks at the man and says, Son, your sins are forgiven which is not what people expected him to say. And the scribes and Pharisees say, oh, that's blasphemy. Who can forgive sins except God alone? And they're exactly right. They just fail to realize they're looking at God in the flesh. And Jesus, knowing what they're thinking, says, which is easier, to say, son, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up and walk. 
but in order that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He looked at the man and said, I say to you, arise, take up your stretcher, and go home. And that's exactly what the man did. He got up, took his stretcher, and went home glorifying and praising God. So you come to verse 27, it says, And after that, after those things we just mentioned, he went out, and he noticed a tax gatherer named Levi sitting in the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. One of the songs Dave had picked out for today, which I didn't know you'd picked out, and you didn't know what I was preaching, was, Wherever he leads, I'll go. Wow. Follow me. And he left everything behind and rose and began to follow him. And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax gatherers and other people that were reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with the tax gatherers and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, It's not those who are well that need a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Jesus has finished his message in that house, and he's healed that paralytic. He gets up, goes on his way, and as he walks down this road, he comes upon a tax booth, the local IRS office. And the first thing we notice is that Jesus has a different kind of plan for Levi. Ever had your plans changed? Yeah, all of us have. I've had my plans changed because my plan was not to be standing behind a pulpit to preach the gospel. My plan out of high school was to go to St. Louis Christian College for a year, I've told you this before, and transfer to EIU at Charleston and major in music and become a band director. I love music. Loved uh, Love Mr. Clymer and, and all that we learned there. My, my band directors through the years, Richard Vowles and, and Arlie Roberts, and, and wasn't quite so fond of another one, but I won't mention him. But nevertheless, I, that was what my plan was. But once I got to St. Louis Christian College, God changed my plans. And so here I am, and you're stuck with God's plan. <laughs> all right. But he has a different kind of plan here for Levi. He stops, he meets a man named Levi, the son of Alphaeus. It's shocking. Stunning would be more accurate because this guy is a tax collector. No one hung out with tax collectors. Everyone hated him. And certainly no one starting a ministry or wanting to create any kind of public appeal or community appeal would have had anything to, have to do with a tax collector. They, they, they were the worst of the worst, the dregs of human society. But they were rich. And that had, I, I would think that had been Levi's plan all along, to get rich. He lived and worked in Capernaum. Well, Capernaum was where Jesus had set up his headquarters for his northern ministry, his Galilean ministry. And so with Levi living and working there around Capernaum, he would have known Peter. At least Peter would have known him because he's the guy Peter would have had to have went and paid taxes to. 
and his business partners, they would have known who Levi was. In fact, all the Jews of that area would have known him because they had to pay taxes to him. And they wouldn't have liked him. They would have hated him. Because you've, you've been taught before, this is the way the Roman tax system worked. They would sell tax franchises. They literally sold the tax collecting business to the highest bidder. So you already had to have money in order to get one of those franchises. And Levi had got one. Now once you got one, you could make a fortune. Because you could charge anything you wanted. Now Rome had a set amount that you had to send to them, send to the government, but anything beyond that, above that, you could keep. So you can imagine how out of control that became and why all the Jewish people came to hate Rome and the tax collectors that worked for them. Tax collectors were trained, professional extortionists. They made their living by taxing people way beyond what the law demanded. You see, Rome did not pay tax collectors a salary. They were just given the opportunity to fleece anyone they collected from. And so this man, Levi, I would think he had always planned to get incredibly rich and live happily ever after until his plans were changed, until he encountered Jesus. And I don't know, don't you think that being there in the area of Capernaum, he probably heard Jesus preach or teach, maybe on more than one occasion? Wouldn't you think he had probably witnessed some of the marvelous things Jesus did, some of the miracles or casting out of demons. Don't you think he had heard people talk about Jesus? Maybe they were talking about him when they came to pay their taxes and, and he overheard their conversations. I don't know. Uh, that's all speculation. But we do know what happened when Jesus walked by that day and said two words to him. Follow me. And he got up instantly and followed him. Now, when Levi got up to follow Jesus and he left his tax booth, it meant not only was he leaving it all behind, but that he's losing everything as well. Before sundown, someone else probably would have taken over that tax business. And there would be no going back. Those bridges were burned forever. What does it say in verse 28? He left everything behind. Everything. Now Peter, Andrew, James, John, they could always go back to fishing if they wanted to. In fact, later on they, they would do that. But once Levi left his tax booth to follow Jesus, he was done. We sing a song called, I have decided to follow Jesus. No, no turning back. No turning back. And we don't know when, but at some point, Levi's name was changed. We don't even know who changed it. I, I personally think probably Jesus did. He changed Simon's name to, to Peter. But maybe Levi changed his own name because now he's a new man. He's living a new life. And regardless, Levi is going to become who we know as Matthew. Yeah. And the word Matthew, the name Matthew means Gift of God. Gift of God. So this old IRS agent, this tawdry tax collector, the con man for Capernaum, now is a changed man 
Now he's a disciple of Jesus Christ because Jesus had a different plan for him. He's going to live a new life with a new name and a new purpose and a new passion. Instead of a tax collector, he's going to be a preacher. In fact, Jesus would personally choose Levi, Matthew, to write the first of the four Gospels, the first book of the New Testament. So you talk about a different kind of plan. What kind of plan does Jesus have for your life? Or do your plans need to change? Or do you need to have them changed by an encounter with Jesus? Notice, secondly, though, here, there's a different kind of party. <laughs> Luke tells us Levi throws this huge party in honor of Jesus, invites all of his former tax collector friends and their friends to a different kind of party because these were the social outcasts. These were the rejects of society. They're, re they're rich rejects, but they're still rejects nevertheless, all right? Now, if the paralytic of Luke 5.18 that Jesus healed, if we consider him a down-and-outer, then these folks were the up-and-outers. They had money, but it didn't matter because no one wanted to be with them. Thieves, robbers, thugs, criminals in the eyes of the Jews. This is a group of people that no one in their right mind would ever be around. But Luke tells us that Jesus is right there in the middle of this Mess of people. This mess of messy people. Which Jeff Walling would say, that's why you need a messiah. Because of the messy people that we have. This messy group of irreligious, money-hungry, party all night like there's no tomorrow, scum of the earth, no good riffraff. They're all together for a party at Matthew's house. When you read Matthew's account of this, in the ninth chapter of Matthew, it's interesting, Matthew never refers to his old name. He barely refers to his old profession. In fact, he just says he was sitting at the tax booth when Jesus passed by. But he adds that Jesus' disciples are at this party too. So this is really a different kind of party because not only is the preacher there, he brought the whole church staff and the elders as well. All right? And he's reclining at the table in the house, no doubt, enjoying a great meal. Tax collectors not only knew how to party, they had the money to pay for it. And I can't prove it, but don't you think that Matthew at some point probably gave his testimony of how Jesus had changed his life, how he left everything behind and followed Jesus? And don't you think he probably appealed to them to do the same thing? I can't prove that, but... I can't help but think that he didn't have some type of testimony. And just like those four friends that dug a hole in the roof to get their friend to Jesus, Matthew now opens his home to get his friends to Jesus. Which begs the question of us, what are we doing to get our friends to Jesus? What are we willing to do to get them to Jesus? Are we willing to, to open our homes I doubt if we're going to have to dig a hole in someone's roof, but we can at least open our home. So we see the different plan that Jesus had for Matthew. We see this different kind of party, but we also see a different kind of plea. Luke says the scribes and the Pharisees came by and saw what was going on. 
They're the religious leaders of the Jews. They walk by, they hear the sound of this wild party, they look in, see Jesus and disciples in the middle of it all, and they say, well, praise God, someone's finally trying to reach those people. No, that's not what they say. They're outraged. Because all they saw when they looked inside Matthew's house were reprobates and sinners. There wasn't a good person in the bunch. These are the kind of people that you avoid. You don't party with them. And so they said to the disciples, what in the world is he doing eating and drinking with these people? Now remember, they're Pharisees who weren't fair, you see. They came up with all kinds of extra rules and regulations and litmus tests to, to determine who was good and who wasn't, who was in and who was out. And for a Pharisee, the most important thing was to be numbered among the spiritually elite crowd. Their worst nightmare was, was to somehow be stuck in the middle of the pack and numbered among common people. Their self-worth was inextricably linked and tied to their ability to differentiate themselves from other people. Remember when the Pharisee and the sinner came to pray? And the Pharisee said, I thank God that I'm not like other people or like this man. That's, how, that's what their self-worth was linked to. They assumed that only the elite could earn God's favor. And so they came up with all these litmus tests and boundary markers to prove to themselves and to others that they were indeed more committed, more spiritual than most other people. You see, Pharisees have always focused on what they do rather than what, on what God has done. And that's why they could never make room for a tax collector like Matthew to be saved. What about you? Who do you have a hard time making room for in the kingdom of God? Who have you decided can't be a part of the church? Who have you determined isn't good enough or doesn't measure up enough to be saved? Or maybe you have the attitude, oh, it's fine. I pray that they will be saved, but I just hope they don't come to our church. A lot of churches and Christians have become what Larry Osborne calls accidental Pharisees. Accidental Pharisees. Not that they've done it on purpose, but instead of going into all the world and making disciples of all the nations, their focus has become on thinning the herd and raising the standard and keeping undesirable people out, which is the complete opposite of what God ever intended for His church. You've heard me say this before. You've heard other preachers say it before. You'll never meet anyone that Jesus didn't die for. So a different kind of plea to a different kind of people here because... Lastly, Jesus had a different kind of purpose, a different kind of purpose. Jesus heard what these religious leaders were saying, so he answers them instantly and emphatically. He answers them with an analogy. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those that are sick. 
right? I mean, that's common sense. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. So that's a simple analogy. Doctors are for sick people. How simple is that? Uh, and the Pharisees are great at diagnosing sin and labeling people as sinners. So wouldn't it make sense if the Messiah, the Savior, comes that he would go to the sick people? I mean, this is the great physician. Wouldn't he go to the sinners? Dr. Warren Wearsby said, Our Savior may be compared to a physician. He comes to us in our need. He makes a perfect diagnosis. He provides a final and complete cure. And he pays the bill. What a physician. Oh, amen to that. So he answered them with an analogy, but he also answers them with an authority. He said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. In other words, I didn't come to save those who think they're already too good to ever go to hell. I came for those who think they'll never be good enough to go to heaven. Jesus didn't come to compliment the self-righteous people. He came to convert sinners. And by the way, you'll notice in our text, Jesus didn't defend these people. He didn't defend the tax collectors and other people that were there at Matthew's party. In fact, he probably agreed with the Pharisees, thinking, yeah, you're right, they're all sinners, they're all sick, they're all retrobates, they're, none of them are good enough to go to heaven, they don't deserve salvation. But that's why I'm here. That's why I came. Because the fact is, none of you deserve salvation either. Not a one of us. Jesus didn't defend them. He did die for them. And he died for you too. So today, this church here at New Hope is not made up of good people. It's made up of sinful people. It's not made up of people who think they're righteous. It's made up of people who know they're not righteous. It's, it's not made up of a bunch of people who think they've arrived or attained some certain degree of acceptance with God. But this church is full of people who know they could never attain or achieve a place of acceptance before God. This church and the church of Jesus Christ, wherever it meets, wherever you find it all around the world, isn't made up of people who think that they're good. Instead, it's full of people who know that they're sinful. It's not made up of people who somehow achieved a righteousness of their own, but it's made up of people that have received the righteousness of God as a gift from Jesus Christ. And that's the message of the gospel. And you want to know who one of the best preachers of that gospel is? He's a former IRS agent, a tax collector from Capernaum named Matthew. And we would all do well to read his book called The Gospel According to Matthew, or as one scholar put it, The Gospel According to the IRS. <laughs> but here's the best part. Because if God can use a tax collector to build his kingdom, don't you think he can use you too? But you can't just sit there. You've got to get up and follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I don't know where you're at today in regards to this message. Maybe you're at a place in your life where you're thinking about making a change of some sort. 
Not, maybe not a change of career, but maybe a change of lifestyle. Knowing that you need to commit yourself to the God of this book and to His Son, Christ Jesus, who came to save you from your sin. Maybe you are considering a career change. One of the things that's taking place that needs to happen more often is that men later in life are deciding to go into ministry and become preachers. You know, I, I grew up admiring and having mentors like Phil Young and Larry Schnauts and, and Glenn Bourne is one of my mentors. Glenn hasn't gone to be with the Lord yet, but he's in his 90s living in Florida uh, with people like Verniel Guerin. Uh, some of the others of that generation, like Harry Randolph and Bob Tinsky, some that, those of you that grew up in this area, you, you remember some of those names. Listen, folks, we've lost that generation. That generation practically is gone from our pulpits. And so many of that generation following them of my age, I can't believe how many of them we've lost. My good friend Howard Newland died in 99. Ron Lamp, our tenor singer for our quartet, died a year ago this month. Uh, and so many others of my generation, it's hard to believe how many of them are now gone. And we need, we need men to step up to be preachers. And there are those who later in their life, in their 50s and even in their 60s, are stepping up saying, God's calling me to do more. God's calling me to step into a pulpit and share the Word of God. Maybe God's calling you to do that. It's never too late. I don't know how God's working in your life right now or what changes maybe He's calling you to make or that you know you should make. But God will help you. He'll help you make the changes that you need to make, whatever those might be. Are you willing to leave it all behind as Matthew did? To follow Jesus, no turning back. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to get your friends to Jesus? Matthew opened his home. What's the next step you need to take in your journey of faith? Are you willing to take it right now, today? If so, you can meet me down front as we stand, as we sing.